morning, everyone. Again, welcome to our worship service. We're going to go to our fourth sermon in our series called Stand. Today, we're going to talk about standing strong for God. I, if you have your Bible with you, can you please turn to Daniel chapter 6? If you have your Bible with you, meet me at Daniel chapter 6. And here's going to read... Um, you know, if you've been been with us for a while, you know we've been reading a whole chapter, and it is, this is actually one of the shortest chapters we've had. Uh, but nevertheless, it is still a little longer than what we're accustomed to normally on a on a Sunday morning. Uh, but here's a familiar story for many of us: Daniel chapter six, Daniel uh, being thrown into the lion's den. Daniel chapter six. Here's what it says. It pleased Darius to set over the king hundred twenty satraps. To be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to send him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaints or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the councils and the governors are agreed, notice Daniel's not there, that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document has been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction. O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the things stand fast, uh, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, de de deliver you. 
And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of the, his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of, day, of the day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a, in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me. Because I found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad, and commanded that Daniel to be taken out, up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Ouch. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples and nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. And his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, tune our hearts to hear from you today. Tune our minds to understand the things that you have brought before us through your word. And as to that end, God, would you stand in my body, speak through my vocal cord. Help us to listen to the things that you want us to do and to say and to think and to, and to, and to, and to, and to treasure in our hearts. Lord, be with me, be with your servant today so I can preach in such a way that it's not of my own power but that your word will cut deep into each one of us so that it will bear much fruit. May the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts in this moment be pleasing and acceptable to you. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Familiar story for many of us growing up in church, Daniel chapter 6, Daniel in the lion's den. I want to begin today asking you a question that perhaps you might not have thought of. Um, I actually really enjoy going to funerals. Not because I'm morbid, I just want to see people pass away. Um, but I find that being in funeral services has a way of bringing clarity into my life. I think I've been to enough funerals to know that in every funeral, there's a time called a eulogy where people will share something about that person. I don't know if you ever thought about this. What would you want people to say about you in your funeral? What kind of words, what kind of things do you want people to remember about you? When it's all said and done, the reality is all of us will be in that casket. 
we will be there and and we'll, it will be there that people will start reflecting and looking back at our lives. And, and I wonder what kind of words would people say it about me? What kind of words would people say about you? I've been to funerals that uh, people have a hard time, sadly, to say anything nice about the person who passed away. And yet there are times that I remember just people recounting the great things that that person was a part of, was doing. And I was so blessed. And I, and I, I obviously, the Bible doesn't tell us what uh, Daniel's funeral, any description of it or recording of it. But I can't help but to wonder when Daniel died at his funeral, what did people say about him? We don't know again. It's not in the text. It's not in any part of the scripture. But I, but I, was, I speculate what it would be about is mostly it's going about two things. One is how much Daniel trusted God. How much Daniel trusted God throughout his whole life. He has banked on God to be his God. All the ups, all the downs at the end of his life. Everyone see how much he's trusted his God. That's one thing. And that's the other thing I think what people will be remembering Daniel for actually is actually not about Daniel, but about Daniel's God. It's almost repetitive. Every story story that we looked at, that people come away interacting with Daniel, they come away knowing more about God, experiencing the power of God, particularly those kings that were involved with his life. And I bet that's what happened in his funeral, that people walked away saying, man, Daniel was great, but man, his God was so much better so much greater man i wish that would be what people say about me that at the end of my life people know god more that people see god through me in me that god has used me to elevate who god is to others today we're going to look at a familiar story daniel in the lion's den um, I think one of the problem for us in reading this story is because it is so familiar to many of us. Many of us, if you grew up at church, you have this picture of Daniel being this young buff guy and then these lines kind of like a, like pillows and just he's riding them, he's sleeping on them or something. You know, you've, you've seen that, those, those pictures. And, and actually that's not true about this story. There's, there's not that, that, that gentle, that, that, that nice. Because you gotta understand that Daniel at this point, he's not a young, strong man. He's actually 80 years old. This is almost toward the end of his life. In fact, in Daniel chapter six, you're not gonna, after Daniel chapter six, you'll continue to hear about Daniel, but it would not be the continuation of what's going on after this point of his life. It'll be just prophecy that he made throughout his life. We won't hear about the detail of his life until uh, uh, after Daniel chapter six. This is the last recording story that we have of Daniel. And so Daniel, this old man, 80 years old, and he was not with some nice, like, fake, uh, cuddly lion. No, they are real, legitimate, like, hungry lions. And so I think when we come to this story, we will easily miss just the severity uh, of the situation or or the the, the type of faith that Daniel exhibited and, and displayed regarding to God. And so it is to that, I want to give us some background. Daniel chapter 6, we, we come to the story. Daniel, uh, by now, is serving not this first king anymore. No more King Nebuchadnezzar. We're done with him. Chapter 5, we skip chapter 5, uh, is his son, King Belshazzar. 
And after this, at this point in chapter 6, King Darius actually no longer was the king of Babylon. He's actually the king of, uh, of the Medes. And you go back at the end of chapter 5, King uh, Darius of the Medes received the kingdom being about 62 years old. So this guy is a new king. There's a new kingdom, his new empire. But as you can see, king after king, they just come and go, but Daniel remains. And this king, King Darius, was an administrative genius. He, with the moment he entered into this kingdom, he realized he needed to get good control of it. You know what he did? He decided to set aside 120 leaders, satraps. These are kingdom protectors. And he assigned on top of them, he, he uh, you know, three governors, three uh, high officials, and one of which out of the three was Daniel. And these guys are supposed to protect and make sure he doesn't lose anything financially. In verse 2, the king might suffer loss. These people are supposed to have the best interest of the king. And so we see in verse 1, it says this, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all and the other officials and satraps because uh, an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Daniel was about to be the number two guy in all of the kingdom under King Darius. See, on the outside, it looks like it's a great promotion. But really, as we continue the story, we saw that this actually caused a lot of trouble for Daniel. Because we see quickly that the administrators, all these, all these other satraps and all the other officials, high officials, kind of gathered together. They wanted to overthrow Daniel. They wanted, I don't know what for what, maybe out of jealousy, maybe they felt like they deserved it themselves. Whatever it is, they want to take him down. They want to take down Daniel, the, the, the guy that the king wanted to be a number two in his kingdom. And as the rest of the story, we see how Daniel stood strong. In the face of adversity, in the face of those who accuse him, and even in the, in, in the punishment, uh, unjust punishment, unwise punishment, you can say, by, the, by King Darius, who carelessly gave that judgment. But the question we're going to ask ourselves, and what I want to share with us is this, how can we stand strong? How can we stand strong like Daniel in the land of Babylon? How can you stand strong in today's world? What does it take for us to stand strong against adversities, against the enemies, even against unjust treatment of our lives? And as we find out, there are three things that we see, three truths that I want us to, 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 to get from this story. The first one, if you're taking notes, is this. The first uh, point, first truth I want you to get is this. That when God raises you up, expect people to tear you down. See, when God raises you up, when God elevates you, when God gives you a promotion, when God blesses you, expect people, and particularly not just people, behind the people, the enemy of God, Satan, to tear you down. Every time God wants to bring you up, someone is trying to get you down. Perhaps you literally have a promotion at work. Like Daniel, your coworkers aren't, aren't cool with that. They, they might be jealous and want to bring you down. Maybe for some of you who are new believers, you are excited about your faith. You want to tell everybody about it, but then you start hitting, uh, the, uh, start, start hitting these, these, uh, cynical Christians at the church and they say, well, you know, I'll give you five, I'll give you five months. I'll give you a year 
Before you know, you will be just as cynical as I am. You are on fire for Jesus. You want to do great things, share the gospel. Your, uh, your mom and dad don't want to have anything to, to do with you about hearing about the gospel. Or perhaps you are on the upward trajectory of your faith. You want to live for Jesus. You want to read the Bible more. You want to pray more. Everything that God is laying before you, like, I'm, I'm ready to surrender my life to do this. And only to find out what happened every time you open up the Bible, someone is stepping into your room to bother you. Your mom is calling you out to go do groceries. Maybe you wanted to be more committed to go on Zoom, to go on your small group. And for whatever reason, it literally happened to me this past Wednesday, that a group I was a part of, I've been okay with my internet all day until at 5.30, somehow Zoom just doesn't work. You see, every time when we want to do something good, something great, every time God wants to promote us, lead us up and, and, and cause us to do something to please Him, the enemy will always try to tear us down. And that's what happened in this story. You go to verse 4. Here's what it says. Then the Kai officials and the satraps sought to find ground, find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could not find any ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Verse 5, then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. See, many times when we serve God, when we want to live by God, we want to follow and live according to the way he called us to live. Sometimes we have this misunderstanding, particularly for those of us in America. We think that when we want to serve God and love God and worship him, there will be no opposition. But that's a lie. In fact, we need to say, we need to understand that the more you want to live for God, the more there will be opposition. If you are not ready for opposition, for your obedience to God, you are not ready to be used by God to further His kingdom. Because right here, these guys are trying so hard to find something wrong with Daniel. Man, let that be true for me and for you. That someone was combed through our life with a mesh, with a fine grain mesh, and, and they can find nothing. He says they can find no fault, no error, because he is so faithful. And the only way for them to find a fault and error is because he loves God too much. You see, we need to understand that just because we want to, we have the desire to serve God, we desire to love God, it does not mean that there will be no opposition. In fact, the opposition would be more fierce if we are willing to love God. If we set our hearts to go trust God, we want to serve God. That was the case for Jesus, isn't it? When in the beginning of his ministry, Satan brought him out for 40 days in the desert to tempt him. Notice Jesus was already 30 years old by that time. Satan, there's no recording up to that point that Satan had to make such a great effort to oppose him, to tear him down. But the moment Jesus' public ministry entered, started, Satan went to work. It's no surprise that uh, the apostle Peter in 1 Peter said that, the, uh, that Satan, the devil, is like a lion prowling around. As we find the same parallelism here in this story, that lions are waiting around to devour us. So do not be deceived. Just because something is going well, you are, you're, you're, you're looking at God, you're, you're facing God, you're living for God. Don't be deceived that there will be no, uh, no, no, no opposition, no enemies. In fact, you should expect it so that you will be ready to stand up strong against them. And that was the case for these satraps and the high officials. 
They couldn't find anything. And the only thing that they can find is that Daniel loved his God. And so what they do, they went to verse 6. They, they decided that they would go butter up the king. And it's really funny because you look through these stories and some of us have been reading through uh, as the book of Esther as well. We just see time and time again that these kings are so easy. Like they are the highest, uh, the most powerful man on earth in their kingdom. But yet somehow they can be easily manipulated by people's word. And that was the case. These guys went to the king and said, King, don't you think that you deserve a little more respect? Don't you think that you should be worshipped more? So why don't we try this? Why don't we try for 30 days that no one else can pray, no one else can worship anybody else, any other gods, any man, but you. Now, if you are King Darius, that sounds awfully fine because who doesn't want to be worshipped? Who doesn't want to be, be honored? And without thinking, just like many other kings that give in to their ways of pride, they, he, uh, uh, King Darius ended up saying yes to that and that became a decree. That became a law that was signed with ink that if anyone worship, make petition to any God or any man for that matter for within those 30 days, they will be cast into a den of lions. Now that's a little problem here because Daniel, for sure, according to this law, will be entering into the lion's den. Now, I want you to put yourself in Daniel's shoes. I think there are three options if you're Daniel, because uh, he is quite predictable in a good way that his, these guys knew that Daniel would continue to pray. But even Daniel, you hear this law being signed, and there are three options for, for, for him. And I think we, we're the same place. There are three options for us. The first one is this, that he can just say, I will stop praying for 30 days. I mean, after all, I'm 80 years old. I'm 80 years old. Man, I've been faithful to God. I mean, one month off is not that bad. I mean, I'll rather be, I'll be more effective alive than dead, eaten up by the lion. So, I mean, let me just stop praying for 30 days. No big deal. After that, I'll come back stronger. I'll just keep praying after that. No one will even notice. And then there's a second option, which I think I honestly probably would choose. Don't judge, but, um, I think the second option is I'll just pray quietly, right? I'll just pray quietly. When people come by and saw me pray, they ask, what are you doing? Uh, nothing, just thinking in deep thoughts. Like you can totally just pray, right? No one said you have to pray out loud. No one said that you have to go up to your room, open up the window. I mean, after all, Jesus said, don't be, let people know you're praying anyway. Right, So we could totally be like, oh, well, I don't need to pray. I just pray quietly and no one would know. And I'm still praying. That's the second option. I think the third option is this and what Daniel chose to do. Daniel chose to continue to pray. Not only continue to pray, to continue to pray three times a day. Not only three times a day, he continued to pray publicly in front of people. Almost as if he wanted to get caught. Daniel prayed publicly against, he stood strong against the trap that was set against him. Now, how did he get that strength? How did he stand strong against what seemingly to be a trap to put him into the, the stomach of the lions? And that leads us to the second truth that we want to look at. So while we need to expect people to tear us down when God brings us up, here's the second truth we need to remember. The second truth we need to remember from this story is that kneeling to pray 
is what gives us the strength to stand. Kneeling to pray is what gives us the strength to stand. Our posture on our knees is what gives us the power to stand up in this world. See, bending of our knees in our hearts leads us like a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how our, the bending of our knees in our hearts, bowing our hearts to God first, actually give us strength to stand before a world that is trying to crumple us, externally pressure us to, to submit to them. I want to look at verse 10. A powerful, powerful verse in verse 10. One that I want to encourage you to meditate on this week a lot. Verse 10 says this, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. I want you to notice what it says. The very first of when he heard the news, what did he do? He did not panic. He did not try to throw a revolution. He did not go call his, 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 uh, his homeboys and say, let's go throw a revolution. Let's go up to the king and, and gather people against, against these satraps and uh, the high officials. No. You know what he did? It says when Daniel knew what had happened, the document being signed, he did not cry, did not pout. He did not throw a pity party to himself. He went to his house and prayed. He went to pray. This is too real, too close to home for me because um, quite honestly, what happened yesterday was I was notified by our AV team that um, we couldn't record exactly the way we normally do today. And my first instant was not one of Daniel. My first instant was panic. My first instance of what was going to happen. How are we going to record? What are we going to do? Are we going to, I'm, I'm thinking through a billion ways where we can put together a worship service and put on YouTube so that you can consume, you can, you can join worship. But that's not the response of Daniel. Man, I remember just panicking and those thoughts came into my mind and immediately there's something about being a pastor is that you need to preach. God has a way of getting your attention and say, you know, you like to preach about what I tell you to preach. Great. Now live it. And in that very moment, I was called by God. I was, I felt convicted by God. I need to stop panicking and start praying. See, for many of us, that's our response, right? Isn't it? When people are tearing us down, when things are going well, you know what we do? We panic. And we tried everything, and then when nothing helps, uh, nothing works, then you know what we do? We, then we say this line, which is indicative of our heart. We say, all I can do now is pray. It is as if prayer is the last resort. When nothing else works, then now I will go pray. But you see, that is not the response. The way to have strength against adversity and enemies to have strength to live for God is not to consider prayer to be the last resort, but the first, second, third, fourth, fifth option. That we must put prayer to be first. We must cast our faith in God first. So instead of saying, all I can do now is to is pray, we need to change the tone of the sentence and say, all I can do is pray. I mean, think about that for a second. We have the ear of the, the most high God, the God who created the universe, the God who made all things happening, that if by his command, if he doesn't want him to take the air out of this room, and we'll all be dead. But he, the book of Hebrews reminds we have, 
We can be confident to approach the throne of grace with confidence. You see, that's what it means for us to find strength. I believe it was D.L. Moody who said this, that true faith is man's weakness leaning on God's strength. I love that. You see, Daniel was strong not because he is strong. Daniel was strong because he's leaning on someone who is strong. He's leaning onto God who's actually strong. He is weak. On his own, he will be eaten by the lion. But, but, but he realized the only one that can save him, the only one that can help him to stand strong is God himself. And therefore, he prayed and he prayed to God. And there are three aspects I want to quickly go through for us that we can learn from Daniel's prayer life. The first thing we see in his prayer life is that his prayer is marked by humility. His prayer is marked by humility. Look at the verse again in verse 10. Then after he went and opened the windows facing uh, Jerusalem, he, it says he got down on his knees. Now let me be clear. I don't think he's, this is an instruction. This is not prescription for us. That every time we pray, we must get on our knees. That's not what it's saying. But what it does reflect though is Daniel's humility. And sometimes we think posture doesn't matter. And again, I don't want to prescribe something that the scripture does not prescribe for us, but we see time and time throughout scripture, we see examples of men and women of God being on their knees and praying. And why? It, because it reflects humility. It reflects a re- reference toward God. It, re- it represents desperation. And, and if you have never prayed on your knees, I want to encourage you. Again, this is not a must do. But I want to encourage you to try praying on your knees. When we think of praying on our knees, we just think of this little boy, little girl in the picture that kind of kneel on the bed. You can't do that. But there are moments, some of the most intimate, most desperate moments of my life. The times that I feel like the, the, I, I draw closest to God was the time that I was on my knee. And then at times, sometimes not on my knee, but on my all four, lying flat on the ground. Because it represents, it, show, it helps me to see my unworthiness before this God. It helps me to realize how humble I need to be. That, that God doesn't have to listen to my prayer. But yet, He loves me and listens to my prayer. And that's what Daniel, he was on his knee. Through, he was on his knee. He didn't do it out of, out of routine. But he did it out of necessity. Remember this. You are not going to survive Babylon on your own. The only way for us to survive Babylon is for us to be on our knees before God and humble ourselves. Which leads us to the second thing is this. That not only his prayer was marked by humility, it's actually marked also by consistency. You see, he didn't do it out of routine, but that's why he's consistent. He's not just because he's disciplined. He do it out of necessity. There's, he, he's consistently praying on his knees three times a day. And, it, and notice at the end of that verse, is as he had done previously. You see, Daniel did not just like, oh, I'm going to get thrown in a fire, lion, uh, fire, uh, lion's den, and now I'm just going to go pray really, really hard. He's always been doing this. He's on his knee three times a day. For many, 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 many years, just as he had done previously, there is a consistency to his life before God. You see, we need that consistency because, quite frankly, all of us are very forgetful people. 
Like, do you even remember what you ate last night for dinner? Do you even remember what you read? Perhaps you read the Bible and sometimes you just walk away at the end of the day. What did I read on the Bible, in my Bible? Was it in the, even in the New Testament, Old Testament? Or was it just on Instagram? Someone posted a verse, I just read that and just liked it and thought that was devotion. See, we are, for, we are easily forgetful toward God, toward what he's doing in our lives. And therefore, we must consistently to come before him. Daniel did not take a chance thinking that he can survive Babylon without God. And therefore, he committed himself three times a day to be on his knee to pray to God, to seek the face of God. Many of us, the only time we seek the face of God is when we want to seek the hands of God. There is absolutely no consistency to the way we meet God. Because when I need something, I'll come to God for something. God becomes almost like a vending machine for us. I'll put in $2 worth of prayer and boom, out come my Cheetos. But we see in Daniel's life, the power comes when we come before God consistently, daily, throughout the day, three times, four times, all throughout the, the day that I am thinking of God, I am praying to God, I'm engaging to the word of God. What does it look like for you to be consistently meeting God daily? What does it look like for you to be consistently be engaged in prayer and in his presence throughout the day? Man, I love you as a pastor, but let's be honest. Some of you have not touched your Bible for quite some time. And in fact, the only time you open your Bible is when, when I'm preaching right now. The only time you open up your app on the Bible app is when I'm preaching. And for some of you, let's be honest, you probably haven't opened it either. Because you're looking at the screen and say, well, it's on the screen. Why bother opening my own Bible? See, the only time you pray this week, perhaps the, the most intimate time of prayer for you this week was when I prayed here on the screen. The only deep dive for you in the word is when I'm preaching at you. Brothers and sisters, the worship service should not, should never be the pinnacle of your walk with Jesus. Let me say that again. Your walk, your Sunday experience in the worship service, whether Zoom or in person, should never be the pinnacle. Should never be the climax of your intimacy with God because what, what, what it does is it, it, you're, you're basically just taking one meal a week and assuming that you can survive the other six days. You see, our worship service is useful and, and constructive for you. It's because every single day you are walking with Jesus. And when we gathered, we're celebrating what God has done in your life, in my life. And when we hear the word of God, it, it, it brought unity, it brought strength in numbers for us. You see, for many of us, we have it the other way around. The Sunday is the pinnacle. The other days are optional. Not that Sunday should be optional either. But what I'm saying is this. That consistency matters. That Monday through Saturday, we ought to be worshiping God. And we need to get in the word of God. We need to be intimate with God on our knees. Because by then, on Sunday, it will make your Sunday time so much better when you gather with other believers. Here's the third one. His prayer is not only marked by humility, but consistency, but also by dependency. Daniel, wholly dependent on God. Verse 10 again, he got down on his knee three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Pray and give thanks before God. Why did he pray and give thanks? But I get it, praying. I'm about to go to the lion's den. I'll pray. 
But he said, he gave thanks. The only reason why, the only way for us to give thanks when we're facing death, when we're facing trials, when we're facing uh, discouragement, the only way for us to give thanks is we are completely dependent on God's promise and his purpose. You ever wonder why Daniel opened up, go up to his room and say, let's open up the window that is facing Jerusalem. The reason why he's opening that window to face Jerusalem, one, is because of the example of Solomon, but two, really is because he wanted to, to trust. He, he's setting his heart to, the, to Jerusalem because he knew that God promised to bring them back to Jerusalem. God will rebuild. Daniel himself was a prophet. There were prophets, other prophets at the time, that even when, when Jerusalem was besieged, was destroyed and burned down. There were prophecy by God that promised that one day there will be a new Jerusalem. There will be a rebuilt Jerusalem. And therefore, Daniel was opening up every day looking at that, even though in his own lifetime, it did not happen. He's trusting in the promise of God. He's depending that while I might, I may face death in just a little while, I'm going to trust in the promise of God just as I've done yesterday for three times a day. I will continue to look into the promise and the purpose of God. You see, that's how we find strength to stand strong. That is how we can stand strong against our enemies, against our discouragement, against our ultimate enemy, Satan. See, when life gives us something to knock us down, when life gives us something to, to push us from standing up, standing strong for God, you know what we need? We need to seek, and we need to seek God in prayer. When you seek God in prayer in humility, we need to seek God in prayer in consistency. We need to seek God in prayer with dependency. Here's the last point we want we see in the story. That as we seek God, as we trust Him, as we exercise dependency on Him, what we need to understand is that when we do what is right, we can trust God to do with a result. When we do what is right before God, we can always trust God with the results. Here's where I, our, our familiarity with the story often stifle us for, for feeling the effect of the story. Because at this moment, Daniel, while he's still praying three times a day, the, the, all the satraps, the high officials caught him. Uh, and no surprise, they knew he would be there at the, at, the, at the right time. They reported him. And as a result of that, King Darius had to toss him in the, into the lion's den. But here's what most of us miss is that most of us think, well, of course, he's going to be saved. Of course, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he's going to be delivered from the fiery furnace, but this time only a different different uh, scenario in the lion's den. But you see, Daniel did not know that. Daniel will literally be thrown into the lion's den. So let us not so quickly jump to the ending of the story because we know the ending, but really lean in the questions that you might have. The concern that he might have because we know at the end of this story, he would be delivered. In fact, it's just so funny because King Darius was freaking out. He was the one of all people was the one freaking out because he gave the wrong, uh, wrong, uh, law. And now his, one of his best, uh, servant, one of his best officials is going to get tossed. And, and, and the other officials was like, Oh, now you can take your work back. And so he had to roll a stone over to make sure that this is a, this is a fair, nothing is a fair treatment of, of even his own favorite go, uh, government official in Daniel. But here's the thing. 
Daniel had to make a choice. Do I continue to do that? But, but, but Daniel, we see here, made the correct and the right decision. Because he's seen God work in his life for 80 long years. God has never failed him once. And he put his trust that God will never fail him again. You see, when we do what is right, when we put our trust in God, we can trust God with the result. In the case of Daniel, we see that God delivered him in verse 22. Here, the next morning, um, King Darius couldn't sleep, didn't want anything to eat, didn't want to watch his Netflix. He said he just, he, he just like up all night praying and even fasting for Daniel. In verse 19, the next morning, he showed up and he arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And he came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish, which is kind of funny because you would think for sure that if he doesn't believe Daniel was saved, uh, there's no way that Daniel could respond. And, but, but anyway, he, he yelled and, and asked Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? I wonder what he was thinking. Like, they hear roaring of lions or really expect Daniel's voice. But by the grace of God, we see that when Daniel trusted in God, when Daniel did what was right before God, he trusted God with the result. Here's what it says. Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I've done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him. Why? Why did God spare him? Because he had trusted in his God. Because he had trusted in his God. Let's be honest here because some, not every story ends this way. We're not talking about Disney movie. That every Disney movie ends in a good thing. And a good result. In the case of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego got delivered from fire. But in the case of Dan, he was delivered not even one bite, not even one, uh, one little tiny uh, scratch on his body, but the line. But we know from scripture that is not always the case. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, while explaining, alluding to uh, Daniel being spared from the line, we know also in the 11, uh, chapter 11 verse uh, 35 in the book of Hebrews, tells us there's also another option of a result that God will allow. Here's what it says. In verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some, here's the negative news, were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You see, trusting God does not necessarily result in safety and security in this world. I wish that would be the promise from God. But God has something better in mind for us. Because God promised something far greater than just the, the brevity of life. That to extend however long he extends our lives, it doesn't matter. We will all still die one day. 
And the only promise God has for us is this. That as long as we trust him and do what is right, he will take care of the result. And even if the result means death, he has prepared for us a far greater place that we will live eternity with, with God forever. In the beginning of the sermon, I asked you, what would you want people to remember about your life? In your own funeral, what would be something that you want people to say about you? And like Daniel, I wish and I hope, I, I, I strive, hopefully people will see God in me. That God, people will see God through me. And most importantly, that people will know God. Hopefully because of my actions and my love and my words. At the end of this story, is a result of Daniel being willing to be in the lion's den and experience God's deliverance. And the result of that is King Darius worshiping God. Again, in verse 26, after he have seen what, what happened to Daniel, verse 25, the author of the book of Daniel, give us this clue that time and time again throughout the chapters, we've seen are these phrase peoples, nations, and languages signaling that our lives meant more than just security in this world. Our lives is meant to make declared to the nations about who God is. And that's what happened. King Darius wrote to all the peoples and nations and languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to no end, to be the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven on earth and he who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Daniel paid for the price of being in the lions then. Jesus paid the price by being on the cross and shut up into the grave for three days. My question to you and for me today is this. What kind of price are we willing to pay so that others might know our God? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Daniel. We thank you for your magnificent power displayed when men and women who are willing to commit, submit themselves to you to trust in you. God, though our faith might be as small as a mustard seed, but God, you said if we have faith like mustard seed, we can move mountains. So Lord Jesus Christ, you are the author and perfecter of our faith. And there are some among us today that are in situations where they need to stand strong. Maybe they're going through temptation. People are tearing them down. They're facing disappointment, discouragement. Even attack from the enemy. God, I pray that they will exercise their faith in you. And therefore, you give them power to stand strong before the enemy. And at the end of it all. Get glory in those circumstances. Get glory in their lives so that people will come, might know you. That people might know that your kingdom will last forever and you are the rightful king of all of our lives. So God, thank you so, so much for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.